Hello and welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This is a ministry of the UGA BCM on campus in Athens, Georgia. We're so excited that you've decided to tune in today. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hey, it's awesome to be with you here tonight. My name is John Chanel, as it was already said. And as of January, started working as the college pastor at Wadi. And um, this is my family up on the screen from Easter. So there's five kids, two parents, and um, that means we're outnumbered. So things can get interesting, but my wife and my middle child, my son, David, are with us uh, right now. And my kids, starting from the oldest to the youngest, are 14, 12, 9, 8, and then 4. But David has a birthday in about five days. So shout out to my man David back there. Big birthday coming up. He'll turn 10 years old. So it's a real honor to be a parent. It's a real gift. I love, too, about Easter. I don't know if this is true for you, but it's kind of like, you know, the evangelical Super Bowl. It's like you pull out your best clothing. You know, the tomb is empty, but the social media feed is full, right? People posting all their pictures outside of church by the cross in their pastel colors. I think the Lord is pleased when he sees all those pastels celebrating his resurrection. Um, But honestly, y'all, it's a real gift and honor to be able to open the word of God. I was struck as we were worshiping, talking about all hail King Jesus, that whenever we open God's word, which you can to Matthew 7, we are reading the very words of Almighty God. And out of Isaiah, one of my favorite passages speaking about God says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That is the God who has authored the scriptures that we look at. And so one of my great heroes in the faith, his name's Jerry Bridges. He's with the Lord now. He's an author, a speaker. But whenever he would approach an opportunity to speak, which he had many of those opportunities over his life, He would always pray when he got up front, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I share that with you to say, every time we open this and every time I have this opportunity to share from God's word, it's a reminder of how small we are and how great God is. And so pray that for me. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, that the words that I would share with you tonight, that the Lord would winnow the words that are not of him and he would help you to remember the things that are of him. So let's read Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, which is side note, I just love how Jesus throws that in there. If you then who are evil, he just knew how to kind of nuance, subtly remind them like you're a sinner. But 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So a couple things that I would sort of set before you, there's a lot of debate as to this section of text, if it is one sort of continuous flow of argument, or if they're almost Jesus is sharing one point and then jumping to something totally different. But the things that I want us to look at here are, at the beginning, we get some instructions on confrontation. What do we do with confrontation, specifically rebuke, and how are you to handle that? What are some principles for that? Number two, where do the resources and power come for living this kingdom life that you've been talking about through the Sermon on the Mount? Where does that power come from? And then three, the golden rule. So those three things. Last week or last time, Tommy shared with you about the sort of admonition not to be anxious. And then whenever we see anxiety pop up in our life, it's a sort of a reminder to us that our priorities are getting shifted out of place. And that when we put the kingdom of God first and we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, anxiety would ultimately be pushed out as we pursue Christ. And so then Jesus is moving into this section with some warnings. And I wanna submit to you maybe three questions that Jesus is sort of posing in what he's saying and what he's teaching. The first question is, can you trust God as judge? Can you trust him? Can you entrust judgment to him rather than yourself launching into judgment? Number two, can you trust his power, his goodness, and his generosity? Do you see him as a good heavenly father who wants to give you good things? And do you believe that? We might recognize that in our head, but practically, we, do we really live that way? Like, I have this incredible Heavenly Father who wants to do really great stuff in and through my life. And do we live that way? And then the third question is, can you trust his love for you? And I'll tell you how we get there. So those are three questions that I would sort of submit to you that Jesus is kind of indicating in what he's teaching. So starting out with this sort of rules on confrontation, where we're sort of warned not to be judgmental. In many ways, this warning could be a warning of don't be like the Pharisees, right? So Jesus, in this idea of kingdom living out of the Sermon on the Mount, knew that one of the trappings or one of the things that would pull people away from him is if they became judgmental people like the Pharisees. The Pharisees who obsessed over the law and they obsessed over obeying word for word what it said, but in the process totally missed Jesus. And so it's possible if we are judgmental people or if we engage in judgment that we can miss Christ. So the first principle here is reckless judgmentalism actually becomes a curse. It blinds us and it keeps us from Jesus. I would challenge you, I don't know if you would consider yourself a judgmental person. I one time was at a gas station and this is just kind of funny story. There was, um, you know, whenever you stop to go to the, well, maybe not you, me, whenever I stop at like a gas station or something like that on the road, immediately I say, David and Andrew, we're going to the bathroom. And of course they say, I don't need to go. And I say, doesn't matter. We're going to go anyway. But I don't need to go, Daddy. We're still going. And inevitably, it's become a joke between us because they'll stand at, you know, the urinal or the toilet and then all of a sudden they will pee for like 30 seconds. And I'm like, bro, you told me you didn't need to pee. He's like, I didn't think I needed to. But you had like a leader, man. Come on. 
They're so obsessed with like what's right in front of them that they're like, I can just hold it forever, Dad. So anyway, we go to this bathroom, and there's just one urinal, okay? And there's a little boy kind of like starting to wash his hands. I mean, I don't even know how old, maybe seven or eight. But he ended up being kind of like an articulate kid, and it kind of was cracking me up. So Andrew goes first, who is now, um, he's my youngest, and David's waiting behind him. Well, David kind of went up like he was going to go at the same time. I was like, no, son, we don't do that. Back up. He's like, okay, okay. And the little boy goes, oh. He's like, I thought you were about to smack him upside the head. I was like, that's strange. And then he's just sitting there doing this with his hands. Very meticulous soaper of his hands. I mean, he was getting every little digit. He was like, yeah, there was a time where my uncle, you see, my cousin kind of ran up in front of my other cousin, and he smacked him upside the head. (laughs) So he's just telling me this whole story while my boys are going to the bathroom. It was just a really interesting social experiment. And so I just kind of loved that story because this little boy is just soaping his hands, telling me a whole story. He just kept going, going and going, talking about his uncle who apparently likes to hit people upside the head. But I thought about it, and what does that apply to judgmentalism? You know, I just thought about that as an example of how we all are making judgments all the time in life. He was making a judgment as to what was going to happen when my son kind of went out of turn to the urinal. But we make judgments literally all day long, expecting what people are going to do, what they're going to say, how they're going to act. And some of us have the discretion or the wisdom to hold some of those in. Others of us tend to be the more articulate type that just can't help but share our judgments. But this is so challenging to me because as a parent, I tend to be overly judgmental. I don't know if anybody here, did anybody here ever have tension with your parents about like a clean room or house rules or anything like that? A couple, maybe three of you. Everybody else was good? Got it. Yeah, so I can walk into my boys' bedroom or my girls'. It's actually pretty much equal. Um, No gender inequality on this one, but uh, I walk through the door, and I'm like, I'm just going to turn around and pretend I didn't just see this room that's in complete disarray. Because as I walk in, I'm like, I just feel anxiety right now. It's like, there's 14 outfits on the ground. How can you wear 14 outfits? And so the only thing, anyway, that's a whole other story. But, but I just find that I'm making judgments all the time about like what my kids do or what they don't do. And, and it's very convicting because... I'm recognizing after having been in campus ministry and been around college students that that sort of like judgmental, critical spirit of a parent doesn't actually foster good relationship, right? You don't get really drawn in by that sort of critique. I had a good friend who played basketball growing up, and, and he said that he was, he was sharing kind of deeply out of a hurt from his dad, and he was saying, no matter how well I played basketball, my dad would give me like one positive thing, like, hey, you did this. And then he would just list off like four or five things that I could have done better. And he said, every time I had an athletic performance of any kind, I just walked away feeling like I'd failed because my dad had this long list. And I just remember that because I'm always challenged like, oh, Lord, help me not to be a judgmental person. Help me not to be critical or harsh. So for us, this question, do you want to be evaluated by the same standard by which you evaluate others? Do you want to sit under that same level of judgment and critique? Or do you want to be the kind of person who believes the best of others, who's gracious and kind, like our Heavenly Father is gracious and kind with us? James 4, 11 and 12 says this. These are some challenging words on this topic. By the way, if you're studying the Sermon on the Mount, James is really kind of like 
The Sermon on the Mount was one of the primary lessons that he heard Jesus teach. And so in his writing, so much of it is parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you could just basically make, you could go through the book of James and just highlight every time where it's like, this sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. Here's an example in James 4. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Those are powerful words. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? That's so challenging, right? God's saying there's one judge, there's one lawgiver. And it's almost like when we enter into judgment of others, we put ourselves almost in the place of God and how disrespectful and irreverent it is. <laughs> there's one lawgiver, there's one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. So that's that question. Are we able to trust God to be the ultimate judge? So I don't know where you're at with this idea of being judgmental or being critical of others, but I would challenge you to ask yourself that question. Can I, can I withhold judgment of others and instead entrust that person to the Lord and say, Lord, you're more well-equipped to judge and to determine what's right than I am, and so I'm gonna trust you. So that's principle number one. Be careful of reckless judgmentalism. It'll make you like a Pharisee. The second one kind of comes out of verse three where it says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So principle number two is examine your life first. So if you're ever in a situation where you're like, man, there's something I see in a brother or sister's life that I really feel like needs to be addressed, I'm not telling you not to do that. But first, let's examine your own life. Because there might be something that is clouding your vision. So is there any sin that I need to repent of before approaching my brother or sister? You know, kind of that passage of like, search me and know me, Lord. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting out of the Psalms. So same kind of thing. A second question, is there anything clouding my vision that would prevent me from seeing clearly? We can be blinded by our sin. Matthew 7, 5 says it this way, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. The implication then is prior to that log being taken out, you have clouded vision. You have cloudy vision that's not ultimately gonna lead you to the right conclusions. <laughs> You're gonna make bad conclusions and bad judgments. So first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So that's principle number three, sin clouds our vision. Um, I don't know, anybody here ever had any surgery in their life at all? Any surgeries at all? Yes, okay. So I'm not a surgeon. I sort of first, I mean, just as true confessions, I sort of like taking splinters out. I don't know why. I don't like what that says about me. I should probably share that with a counselor. But, um, but my daughters, two of them, so my 12-year-old daughter, Anna, and my four-year-old, Amelia, we went to the beach over their spring break a couple weeks ago, and they both uh, love running around without shoes, and they got splinters, right? So Amelia, when she got hers, she went down like she just got like sniper hit. She was like, <laughs> So she had these burrs in her feet. She's screaming, and, and we're like, you know, sweetie, help me. Like, can we see your foot? And she's like, Whoa. I mean, she like doesn't want anything. She's just like, I don't want anybody touching me. Don't get near my foot. Don't, whatever. 
So she was scared that if she trusted us to remove it, that it would be more painful. So that was quite an ordeal. But eventually, we, um, I sort of like had half the family hold her down, and we eventually got so that It was, you know, people probably judged us, but that's okay. Um, we judged ourselves in that moment. So, But Anna had the same thing. I didn't realize it until a couple days later because she had kind of just toughed it out, and then she was getting ready for her cheer tryouts. And this is late one night before her cheer tryouts, and she's like, Daddy, my foot really hurts. I was like, do you have a splinter or something? This is my time for surgery. And she's like, yeah, I did. I didn't get it out. So anyway, she tried to get it out herself, couldn't get it out. Well, I'm thinking about this, like this clear vision. If you think about any kind of surgery, it's so meticulous. It's so careful. And anytime I'm doing that, especially to one of my kids, I really want to be so careful not to cause any undue pain, right? I want like the minimum amount of pain in order to remove this splinter. And so with her, I tried to get it out with tweezers. It, was, it had already kind of like the skin had kind of grown over the top, and it was kind of hard to get it out. And so I was like, sweetie, I'm going to have to use like a little pin to be able to kind of dig and get it. And she's like, oh, okay, fine. But this principle of like if we're going to really perform surgery in the life of another where we're going to remove a speck from their eye, how careful and meticulous do we need to be? It's almost, I mean, in this passage, Jesus is making it like optical surgery. <laughs> You're going to take this speck out. You've got to be so careful and so gentle. And that's the way it was with me and Anna. We got it out. Spoilers. The fourth principle. So again, reckless judgmentalism can become a curse. Number two, examine your own life first. Number three, that sin can cloud our vision, and we need to have best possible vision in order to perform surgery. And then the fourth is know your audience. Matthew 7, 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs and they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So really, whenever it is that you're bringing this news or this truth into somebody's life, you have to recognize, is this a person who's gonna be able to receive this? Here, Jesus is referencing dogs and pigs. Dogs and pigs in scripture typically refer to people outside of the faith. These are people that don't recognize wisdom, they don't recognize truth, they don't recognize Christ. And so if you were to bring before them a pearl of truth and of wisdom, you're ultimately going to just going to incur their judgment upon you. The Proverbs really sort of expand upon this. Proverbs 9, 7 through 8, chapter 9, 7 through 8 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. So if you're ever going to help somebody by delivering the truth, you might find yourself in the crosshairs. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. So that's the fourth principle that Jesus lays out here, is that we have to know and recognize our audience. Are they able to receive the truth? My wife and I have been in ministry for about almost 20 years, kind of post-grad. I went to Penn State. Uh, my wife, Joy, graduated from Georgia State. We met at the Colorado Springs Municipal Airport, naturally. I know, it just makes perfect sense, logical. But anyway, that's where we met. We ultimately got married and we were in ministry in Tuscaloosa at the University of Alabama. Again, feel free to judge, but just don't say it out loud. Uh, we were there and we were sort of investing in a young couple's life. Their names were um, Mark and Amber. And uh, this was an example. Mark and Amber were young in their faith and they were really trying to grow a little bit. And, but their relationship, we had kind of some concerns about like, man, we just don't know that their relationship's really centered on Christ. And so we'd been praying about it. And well, we, didn't, we, don't, we typically don't want to really weigh in on relationships. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But uh, 
my wife was away on retreat, and they were sitting around talking, and she was in a group with Amber, and Amber was just sort of reflecting, you know, I just don't know that Mark is going to be a spiritual leader in my life, and she was just sort of sharing out of vulnerability of kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do, and I really care for him, but I'm just not necessarily challenged by him spiritually, and so Joy, just as she was sensitive to the Holy Spirit, was like, well, that's a pretty big deal, and she kind of gave good advice around like, if you aren't going to be challenged and led spiritually by this man, then it's not a wise to continue this relationship if that ultimately isn't going to be the kind of marriage that you feel like is biblical. And so anyway, very good advice at the time. But what we found out later is that they weren't ready to hear that truth. And so Amber at the time, really, she was the one that brought up the concern. Joy shared good wisdom. But then after she got back home, she just really kind of turned on us and was like, you're the enemy. You guys don't want us together. And so sadly, that relationship became strained. But for us, we just kind of recognized in that situation, like, it was a risk to share the truth because we didn't know that this person had the maturity to be able to hear that and to be able to do good with it. So that's another principle when it comes to conflict. So in your life, I don't know what kind of conflict you have in your life or what kind of people you have in your life that you see specks in their eyes, but that's a a critical thing to be prayerful about. Is this person ready to hear this? Um, And can they receive this well? Okay. On the screen here in a second, we'll have a picture of a big boulder. So as Jesus continues on his passage, he sort of starts addressing where is it that the resources and the power and all this comes for living this kingdom life that he's been outlining throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. In other words, even when we have these principles of how we do confrontation, how we share the truth, it ultimately becomes like, man, this sounds hard, right? That should sound kind of hard because it is. And so we're reminded by Jesus of how critical prayer is. And that's what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus brings it back to prayer often, (laughs) The Lord's Prayer, and then here in verses 7 through 11, really brings the focus back to prayer. I'm going to read those verses real quick again. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him. What's cool about this little section is that you can observe that Jesus mentions the word ask five times, seek two times, and knock two times. So it's nine different references to in some way coming to the Father with our requests. That's like, pray to God, 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 pray to God to God. Hopefully that gets the point home, right? <laughs> so Jesus is being very specific. You've got to go to the Father, go to the Father, go to the Father. He's the one that has the power and the resources for you to live this kingdom life. We can't do it on our own. So whose power are you trusting in? Are you resting in the power of God to enable you to live a life that pleases him? Or Are you trying to, by your your own force of effort, force yourself to live out that life? Are you trusting in him? What I love about this, too, is that we get these incredible promises that he is going to, it'll be given to us, that we will find, that the door will be open to us, that we will receive, that we will find, it will be open. He's saying over and over again that God is going to grant your request. So I think of this with... um, my children, let me, let me bounce to this picture of Andrew, my, my younger son. Um, 
This is Andrew at Sam's Club. The food court is pretty unreal when it comes to being eight years old. And what I know about my kids, when I think about sort of persistent asking, I think about my children. I think they almost like, I almost wonder if there's sometimes they kind of huddle up and they're like, okay, I'll take 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Then I'm going to tag out, you take 11 to 12. Because there's just this like guerrilla warfare of just requesting and requesting and requesting. And when you have one child, it's kind of like tiring. If you have two, it's kind of exasperating. If you have five, you just pray to God all the time. Like, Lord, help me. Like, there's only two of us, and there's five of them, and they have an incredible energy to ask. And so at times, as a parent, you just feel like you're just constantly saying no. Because if you said yes all the time, you would be broke, and you wouldn't have a home, and your kids would be destitute. But because they just keep asking. So you have to say no at some point. That has to be a boundary, right? So... But when my son comes to me, Andrew, and he just comes in like a sweet spirit of like, you know, one time we're driving a car, he's like, Daddy, can you take me on a date sometime soon? I mean, how can you say no to that? You can't say no to that. And so I was like, sure, but I'd love to take you on a date sometime. Where do you want to go? Sam's. (laughs) Guys, that probably will never happen as you sort of court a woman and try to get married. But maybe you'll marry a girl that wants to go to Sam's. I don't know. No judgment, but but Sam's Club, their food court, it's incredibly cheap. So it's a, it's a cheap date if you need it. So Andrew, as we're driving to Sam's, I'm like, dude, what do you want? Like, what do you want to get? And he's like, Daddy, I want an Icy. Later, he, he kind of slow played me. Later on, he said, I want a Pepsi Icy, caffeine. That's like walking around with a live grenade when you have a young child. But he does. You can see in the picture, that's a Pepsi. I, I caved. And... So he's like, I want an Icy, and I want a piece of pizza. And, Daddy, I want a pretzel. And I was like, Andrew, are you going to eat all that? Because he's typically like super picky eater, doesn't really eat very much. He's like, you don't think I can eat it, Daddy? He's like, Mommy, I'll tell you, I can do it. So he took it as a personal challenge. Well, anyway, when I think about this, though, it's so, it kind of drives home for me this point that, that Jesus is saying, if you then who are evil, I'm an evil father, according to Jesus, um, I mean, I try my best, but I'm a sinner, right? I'm a selfish person. Even with Jesus working to transform my life, I still have sin within me. I still have selfishness, and that can really show up in my parenting. And so if I know how to give good things to my son, how to bless him and how to enjoy him, how much more a perfect, loving, generous, powerful Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to us. So I want to ask you, what is your posture towards God? Is your posture that he is good and loving and generous and that he's excited to hear from you? The amazing thing about God is that he's so patient, he never is bothered when you ask him. If you were my child and you asked me, I would be bothered because I'm a sinner. Our Heavenly Father never bothered. He's never impatient. He's never exasperated by you. He actually commands you to be persistent in your prayer. How cool is that? that we have such an incredibly loving and generous and powerful Heavenly Father that he wants you to persistently come at him with requests. And he wants to grant your requests. I just love that. We have God working on our behalf through Jesus Christ. Revelation 4.11, a passage I've been memorizing recently, I just really like meditating on it, but it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, And by your will, they existed and were were created. God, he's worthy 
and he has all power, and he created all things, and they exist because of his will. He willed us to exist. You are here because he willed you to be here. Praise God. And he is the heavenly father that is longing to hear our requests. Lastly, so our third point. So the resources and power of this this loving and generous heavenly father in our corner. And then lastly, Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this command is almost this sort of distillation of if you want one statement of what it looks like to live out this kingdom life, here it is. This fulfills all the law and the prophets. It's similar to the greatest commandment. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's interesting because contemporaries of Jesus had similar sayings. In AD 20, Rabbi Hillel really was challenged to summarize the law, the Torah. And what he said was, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. So Rabbi Hillel shared a prohibition. The things that you hate, don't do to others. Jesus was the first to proclaim this in a positive sense. So it wasn't just prohibitions, things you shouldn't do, but he set the bar so much higher because he said, the way that you wish others would deal with you, that's the way you are to deal with them. So that's not just abstain from something, but that's go above and beyond to serve and to love and to sacrifice for others. Jesus lived this out perfectly. Jesus sacrificed of himself on the cross. We know that it's not what he wanted to do because he asked that God the Father would remove that task from him. He says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus perfectly fulfilled this commandment that he then commends to us. This answers the question of, do I really believe that I serve a loving God? You know, the only way that we can go and love others this way is if we first are so secure in how loved we are in God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The only way we can become unselfish people who look to others first is if we are transformed by the love of Christ. So this positive command to go and to live sacrificially for others is one that we cannot do unless the love of Christ transforms us. Without the love of Christ, this does not happen. People might serve others, but there's other motivations. It's not out of self-sacrifice. It's not out of love. It's not ultimately for the other person. It's ultimately for yourself. So Jesus gives us this command and sets it before us and tests whether or not we really believe that we have a loving Heavenly Father who will satisfy all of our needs so we don't need to fight to have our needs met because they are all met in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. Two more slides. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is expressing the nature of the kingdom. And I would tell you that there's three underlying questions that are being tested in what we looked at tonight. The commandment not to be judgmental, really is a question of whether or not we can trust God as judge. 
The question of going to God in prayer is a question of do we believe in the power and the goodness and the generosity of our Heavenly Father that's just waiting to answer our prayers. And the third, the golden rule, really asks the question, do we believe in the love that God has for us? So I want to just set before you some applications. What do you do with this information? The last slide will just be a list of potential applications. And I want to just give you a minute to meditate upon these and to really be asking God what he would have you do with this good news of God that he has delivered you and he has brought you into a kingdom that's going to be transformational and he's inviting you to live in that kingdom as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our Instagram page at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode.